Last week we studied from this psalm what is man's, woman's highest emotions. The highest emotions is the emotion of fear, the, the godly fear that we talked about, not the fear that intimidates us and causes us to, to shrink back, to slink back, but the fear that causes us to have the proper thinking about God, the proper thinking about ourselves and how we relate uh, to one another. And so the psalmist made this in a general statement. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. So that fear is not only for a certain people. Uh, in our class this morning, um, we were talking about uh, one individual was saying, before he was a Christian, he had this sense of, of, of a fear. And, and that, this fear is different from that fear. That fear is necessary. But that fear is what leads us to this fear, as we heard from uh, the... Um, 20th chapter of Exodus. But now he moves from that general, general uh, statement to a specific one. He is looking into the, the coming together of a man and a woman in what we call holy matrimony. And he's going to talk about how this fear goes into the home. The home. And I cannot tell you how important this is today. Because he's going to talk about a man and a woman becoming husband and wife. But we have redefined that so that today anything can become a home. Uh, I think I I've never watched a program. I've seen it advertised and I don't know anything about it. The program is called My Two Dads. I don't know what it is. I, just, I, just, I can just surmise what, what it is. Or, or there's another one or two or three of them, and I just see them advertising. And you never want, like I said, to sit down with me watching television when ads come on. He, he begins a very important point. Look at the end of verse 2. Before we get in, these are, these are thoughts that are... That are just shared briefly as we go into the text. Verse 3. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine when within your house. Uh, now he's, he's talking about a specific place with a specific design, with a specific experience. The man who fears God and, and gets married, married to a woman, as we shall see in a minute, that man will take into that relationship this highest emotion. I'm not talking about emotionalism now. I'm talking about this highest emotion, that which we feel, which, which brings us into a place of behavior. He's going to take his fear of God, and he's going to take that into the relationship with his wife. And what will govern that home is this man's fear. So the home is an environment in which a husband who fears God sows the seed of fear into his wife and his children, and that home becomes a happy home. Not a home where you cannot have joy. Not a home where you cannot laugh. The scripture says that, that laughter is like a medicine. 
So it's not a, you know, when I, I tell you, when I was a, a Christian, before I was a Christian, um, I looked at some Christians and I thought, uh-uh, not me. I, I, wanted, I wanted to be happy. Who doesn't want to be happy? But I thought that happiness comes, <laughs> go ahead and laugh. I thought that happiness comes from wanting to be like Elvis Presley. And, and I think I've told you, I learned all his moves. I learned all his songs. And when I became a Christian, and I went to a, a, a Christian fellowship, <laughs> didn't know what to expect. And I looked at my pastor and I said, I have never been so happy in my life. And I'm going to tell you, they were not singing Hung Dog. <laughs> he points to a home. A home is not the same as a house. A house is a structure. The home is the environment within that structure. And so he goes now to the home. And in the home, he looks at what makes a family enjoys the home. One of my favorite men now with God in heaven, Howard Hendricks, said he was invited to this home to speak to a couple. They asked him if he would come. He said, <laughs> he said as I walked into that home, I fell into their mink carpet. He said, I almost got mink rash. <laughs> and I looked in this home, or this house, and I said to the woman, what a beautiful home you have. And her response is, I would give up everything here for a happy home. I would give up everything you see here for a happy home. A house does not make a home. First, the first priority in the home between a husband and the wife is the wife. This is how the, the scripture begins. Look, look at how he puts it. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. In other words, the husband, please listen, the husband becomes the supply of energy for a wife to become what she wants to be. He's not the source. The source is God. But he becomes a supplier. He feeds her with his God-likeness. And, and I, as I studied this, it's a remarkable, remarkable thing how the scriptures read. Listen, please. In Genesis chapter 2, when God brought Eve to Adam, and Adam saw Eve, he said, this is now 
bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called, she shall be called woman, Isha. The man, when God created him, he was called Ish. And the woman is Isha. And Adam said, you are woman because you were taken out of the man. So the physical life of the woman came from the man. God took a rib and he formed a woman. And the woman comes out of the man. In the same way, the spiritual life of the woman is enhanced by what the husband brings that spiritual energy into the life of the wife. And the wife begins to look like what he calls and, and, and uh, this is not talking, when he says you will be like a fruitful vine, he's not talking about having children. It's interesting how many theologians have seen children in this. He's not talking about that. What he's saying, as you name your wife physically, the man names her hus his wife spiritually. Ephesians chapter 5 says, the husband is the sanctifier of the wife. Listen, when you get married, you soon discover that two histories are brought together. Each of these history, the husband and the wife, have lived in the past. And as you lived alone, you developed some really nasty habits. You take Frank Sinatra seriously. You do it your way. And then you get married. And he was used to doing it his way. And these two world clashes. A godly man will sow in his wife so that those things are removed through the work, the way in which he treats her so that she will see that those things are not beneficial. He doesn't say to her, you change or. He doesn't, he doesn't say, it is my way. No, no. It is the spirit of God in the man who now knows this reverential fear for God, having a respect for his wife, and God has used him just as Adam gave spiritual, a physical life to Eve, so the man who fears God supplies spiritual life for the wife. Now, I know, my friends, that that's not popular today. Today, every woman wants to be her own woman, and every man wants to be his own man. But I want to suggest something to you. The more we resist the design of God, the more difficult life is becoming. The home is experiencing a division today like it has never seen because you have individuals living as individuals in the home and not this complementary relationship where a godly man supplies for his wife. In fact, the, the, Ephesians 5 said the man, the husband is a savior, the savior of his wife. He sanctifies her, and he behaves like Christ to his wife so that that wife might become a precious, precious bride to him as he continues, just as the church will become a precious bride to Christ as he sanctifies the church. 
Listen to it. Listen to it. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, you're the head of the wife. In the same way that Christ is the head of the church, as Christ is the source and supplier, you're not the source. God is your source with which you supply your wife. Because what he, what he does, blessed is every man, says the text, who walks in his way. His way. The willing subjection of the church to Christ should be re reproduced in the submission of the wives to their husband. But remember, that means that the husband must give his wife the same sort of love that Christ gives the church. When he sacrificed himself for her, Christ gave himself to make her holy, so does the husband sacrifice his own will for the holiness of his wife. What a home that is. Tony Evans in his book, The Kingdom Man, says this. There are three things that are required for a wife to become a fruitful vine. One, security. When a vine is placed in its place, it clings on to what it is there willingly, and it grows by holding on to what it is tied to. That's the sacrificial love of a husband. Liberty, liberty. The vine must be able to climb. And when the husband sees the qualities in the wife that God is actually producing, he encourages it, he fans it with his prayer. And he fans it with his encouragement. Charity. After the clinging and the climbing comes the cluster. And when the vine is filled with the cluster, people are able to, to pull, to pick, and eat. And so the wife, like Psalm, like Proverbs 31, becomes one who provides for others with her prayers, with her love, with her commitment. Dr. Don Allender, in his book on marriage, says this, A strong husband will draw forth the strength of tenderness of his wife. A strong husband will draw forth the strong tenderness of his wife. Christ Christ should do the same thing in me that I do the same thing for my wife. Uh, this frightens me. I, I mentioned about people that have influenced my life. And Harold Wildish, and I don't think anyone in this room knows who Harold Wildish is. He's one of the, an Englishman from whom I heard the gospel when I was 12, and it was not until 10 years later that I would become a Christian, but he sowed the seed. And I got, had the privilege when I was a student at Prairie to go and pick up Dr. Wildish at the airport and back and forth as he, he was one of our speakers for a conference. And I reminded him, he didn't know me from a hole in the ground, but I reminded him of when he was in Belize and I heard him. And he has influenced me with his, his ability with the word of God. And someone asked Dr. Wildish, Dr. Wildish, are you a Christian? 
Guess what his answer was? Ask Mrs. Wildish. Ask Mrs. Wildish. I want to be able to say that, friends. I want to be able to feed the spiritual life of my wife that she becomes a fruitful vine. Secondly, he goes to the children. The children. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18 says that children are a sign and a wonder from God. Children are a sign and a wonder from God. The children will be like olive plants. By the way, notice it doesn't say that the wife becomes a plant or a fruitful vine. It's like, it's like what that plant does physically, botanically, that's what a wife does spiritually. What, a chill, what the olive plant does, and the olive plant is, is that which gives an aroma, something that is beautiful, something that is seen, that is loved. And so in, in the Jewish home, in the Jewish home, friends, the table was the place where things happen that will set for life in the lives of our children around the table. Let, let me suggest to you five things that should take place around the table. Five things that should take place around the table. First of all, the father must be present. He must be present. And these five things will happen around the table. One, observation. Observation. Proverbs 20, 12. The seeing eye and the listening ear are gifts from God. So that you can see, not only with the eye, but through the eyes. So that you can hear not only what is said, but how it is being said. So that the mother of Moses was able to look at Moses, and she saw that he was a goodly child. The seeing eye. Observation. If you are not there, you will not be able to observe. You will not be able to tell when your son or your daughter begins to eat by just looking at the plate, not looking up at mom and dad and their faces around the table. You'll not be able to tell when they're heavy with questions that are burdening them. Secondly, conversation. Conversation should take place. Not eat and run. <laughs> I, I, I lived... I tell people this and they can't believe it, but it's true. My wife can tell you. I lived on a farm. I only lived on a farm. I didn't say I work on a farm. I just lived there. And when supper time came, it, it was one of the most beautiful things in this Presbyterian home. Everyone would sit. Dick was involved in his work as a farmer, but he was home for supper. He was home for lunch, and we would sit around the table, and oh my word, we would have such fun. Class, remember we were talking about fun this morning? Conversation. My friends, this is a, this is a knowledge that is needed today. I'll tell you why. Because today's teens... Think with their fingers. 
I, I watched a young girl yesterday afternoon, day before yesterday, walking at a crosswalk in Salem. And she was walking this way. I had the green light. She had the green light. So I had to wait for her, which I did, and I watched her. And she never lifted her eyes from that thing. I was tempted to toot my horn. <laughs> I didn't do it, guys. But she was just, I mean, she just walked. I, she just walked. And I met her on the other side of the road, going across the other side, because I went around, and she was doing exactly the same thing. She was completely detached from her environment. And my friends, we must be able, able to converse with our children, develop the ability to talk with them so that they will trust you enough to tell you what they're facing at high school, the questions that the professor, teacher might ask. Three, there should be interrogation. You should be able to ask them questions. Judges chapter 14, Samson went out, and when he came back, his father said, where have you been? You know, I was telling someone about this. My liberation, my liberation in my home was when I was 21. I was able to stay out after 9 o'clock. <laughs> oh, my word. And I became a Christian just after that. And, and one night I was with some Christian friends and we were just sharing. And I was out at 10 o'clock and my mother was worried. Wow. Ask questions? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I was talking with a father back in Toronto. And he came to see me and he was having problems with his son. And he said, I can't talk with him. I'm not going to tell you all that happened, but my friends, I'm going to tell you. Our children will ask questions when we ask questions in a way that make them want to hear the answers. When we ask questions, they will ask questions if they know that the question they're asking will be given the answer, not what they need, but the answer that should be given. Enough of that. Fourthly, intercession. Intercession. The husband must learn to pray with his family. I was just blown away when I'm told that the majority of ministers do not pray with their family. That, that just, I can't understand that. Psalm 144, verse 12. The psalmist prays for his sons and his daughters. Fifthly, nurture them. Ephesians 6, 4, nurture them. Let your word be like the honey from the honeycomb. You know, nothing, my friends, I say this to the glory of God, nothing satisfied Lois and me more and when Christopher asked Brooke to marry him, he takes back that decision to a four hours conversation he had with us around the table. We 
we talked with him and we shared with him and we showed him and then we prayed with him. And last week, both Christopher and Brooke were down for a wedding. They stayed, they wanted to come to church, but they thought they had to get back. And we, st we, we, we stood in a circle with our arms around each other, praying. Because my friends, when you nurture the children in the things of God, asking the right questions and asking the questions with the right attitude, then they'll come back. John Wesley was a student at Oxford, and he was struggling with the definition of sin. And he sent a note home. And by the way, remember, Mrs. Wesley had 19 children. <laughs> and she came from a home that had about 25 that's their business, not mine. <laughs> but she knew how to raise those children. John and Charles experienced that at Oxford, where John was surrounded by some of the brightest minds in the world. He didn't have the right concept and definition of sin, so he wrote home to his mother, Mother, <coughs> excuse me, what is the definition of sin? Listen to Mrs. Wesley's response. Questions, eh? Questions. Whatever weakens your reasoning impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures the sense of God, or take your relish for spiritual things in uh, take your relish for spiritual things. In short, if anything increases the authority and the power of the flesh over the spirit, that is sin. Wow. The confidence, the child, away from home. Huh, you, you know, when our daughter was finished high school, she said to me, Dad, no more, high, no more schooling. And I tell you, it broke my heart. It did. Because we had discovered that Heather had a, a very beautiful voice. And so I started to make inquiry of universities in the States as well as in Canada. And she said, Dad, that's it. No more. But God gave both Lois and me wisdom to release her. To release her. We had put enough in her. So she moved away some 300 miles north of Toronto. We went up to see her, and I thought we were going to fall off the earth. I mean, it was way up there, a little place called North Bay. So we were wondering how Heather was doing spiritually. She had come from a home where father and mother met with our children around the table and, and pray with them and talk with them and read the scriptures on a daily basis. <laughs> So we're visiting the home where she lived. And I mentioned to the, to, the, to the host lady, I said, you know, when Heather left home, Lois and I were quite concerned about what she was doing because we knew nothing of North Bay except it was north of Toronto. I said, I was quite worried. And I'll never forget her answer. She said, Mr. Thurton, Heather is in Bible study every Wednesday night. And whenever we come up with a hard question, Heather would say, my dad would say, my dad would say, 
oh, let me tell you, like an olive plant, the aroma of the home had reached North Bay. And the fellow to whom she's married today is from North Bay, who is pastoring the church in North Albany. My friends, the blessed man who walks with that godly reverence in the home, who supplies spiritual energy for his wife's life. When he goes to work, that wife is at home, if she's at home or when she's at home, and she feeds into those children, and she doesn't have to wait for, for wait until your dad gets home. She can feed the spiritual life of her offspring, of their offspring, because her husband is feeding into her own. Quickly, quickly. Look at the insurance. That kind of a fear is insurance for a home. Behold, behold. That word behold means listen. Pay attention to it. This is what happens to the man who fears the Lord. Matthew Henry, great old theologian said, Behold is showing the awareness that it shall be so. Because God is faithful. Huh. I'm looking at something I have written here, except let me summarize it with this way. Do you recall the prodigal son that had gone away and lived that riotous life when he came to his senses, what he said? He didn't say, I will arise and go home. He said, I will arise and go to my father. Because what the father had said before he had rejected, and he found out out there that it was true. So he's coming back to repent of what he had refused. And when that father had given him some principles that he rejected, by the way, don't think that because you do it that they're just going to turn out the way you want to. They have to make choices. So I hope that no father or mother feel that they are failing because a child might not be walking with the Lord. No, they have to make choices. He had to come home to what he had rejected at home. Lastly, we have in the home, and now we want to look beyond the home very quickly. We want to be on the home. Look at verses 4 to 6. Blessed are uh, behold, for this shall be the inheritance, the insurance for the man who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. A couple of things as we come to an end. A man who fears God and teaches that in his home is able to influence the community. The community. The Lord bless you from Zion. I labored over this little phrase. The Lord bless you from Zion. See, Zion is the place from which God flows His blessing. And if Jerusalem is to prosper, if the city is to prosper, it must prosper because in the city are righteous people upon whom God is is, is giving his blessing. Righteous children preserves the integrity of a city, the morality of a city. 
when they reject what God has to say, my friends, then life becomes a burden. Jerusalem is blessed because there are righteous people. You remember when Abraham asked God, if there are ten righteous, will you destroy the city? If there are five righteous? See, the Lord bless you out of Zion. My friends, do you know of a city this morning that is not in peril because of fear? I hate to tell you, and I perhaps just leave it to Toronto, a few weeks ago, a man took a, a bus, a van, and drove it in the sidewalk, killing 15 people. You don't even feel that you're safe on, in the cities anymore. Last Sunday, at the end of the day, in the Greek section in Toronto, Lois and I know it very well, we've been there several, several times. People were sitting down enjoying a nice evening when a young man walked up, opened his case, took out a gun, and just trying, started to shoot people. He didn't even know them. In Cancun, Mexico this morning, somebody went crazy, killing people. This one, one fellow in one of our cities took, I, I even hate to even say it, but friends, I want you to understand that unless you have righteous people in the city, a city is a place that you don't want to be. This one lady was, was, was walking with her little baby, three months old, three years old. And somebody took lie and threw it in that baby's face. That's the city. And the, the psalmist is saying, a community prosperity comes because out of Zion, God blesses Jerusalem and made Jerusalem prosper. My friends, our Jerusalems are not prospering right now. We are troubled. I tell you, I, I, go, I go to Portland. I go even to Salem. And I'm not joking with you. As I walk, I am looking to who's, who's coming in, ahead of me. My wife laughs at me at this. I go to the bank and I look to see the exit signs. I want to know if anything happens, where do I go? That's a, that's a tragedy, but that's where we are now. I was in New York several years ago, and this fellow walked up to me and said, can you tell me what time it is? And there was a clock right, right in front of us. And I remember someone said, if someone, if someone asks you a question in New York, stop you, be careful. Put your back hand in your, your pocket in your back, put your hand in your back pocket and stand this way. Because when they stand in front of you, when they stand in front of you, someone is coming behind you to pick your pocket. I can tell you stories of the city. Cities are beautiful places, my friends, but unless you have righteous people in the city, and righteous people come from righteous homes. Jerusalem is the city of God. Because God blesses. And whether it be Lebanon or Albany or Salem or Portland, my friends, what we are, did you see that cleanup on Channel 12 a few days ago that the city has to clean up? Just a horrible, horrible thing. But prosperity comes when righteousness is blessed by God. Righteousness exalts a nation, says God. 
But then there's community tranquility. Peace be upon Jerusalem. May you see your children's children. I told you about Toronto. Among those who suffered at the hand of this man was an 18-year-old girl who was studying to go to the university in Hamilton to become a nurse. She was buried yesterday. But if you think that was bad, the next person to die was a 10-year-old girl who was practicing to become a synchronized swimmer. And she was shot simply by being in the wrong place at the wrong time. May you see your children's children. That will not happen with these two. What I'm getting at, my friends, is this. The proof of true prosperity, please listen, the proof of true prosperity is the moral and spiritual capacity of the home of the home. God says, here's the man, here's his home, here's the community. And if the community is to be blessed, it will be blessed because there are righteous people in the city upon whom God, out of Zion, from God comes the blessing and he gives them the privilege of prosperity and tranquility. I remember the days we used to go to Chicago. One of the things I loved to do when I was in Chicago in the early days was to go to the Chicago airport, one of the biggest in the world, and just watch those big jets taking off. Just a beautiful thing to see. You can't do it anymore. Do you know where the president was speaking a few weeks ago? I am told that they had gas masks in all those places just in case there's Something breaks out. No peace. No peace. Even where we're trying to make it. May peace be upon Israel. How? Peace will be upon Israel. When Israel responds to God. And God blesses those who respond to him. So that they provide the security for the city. May God be able to keep the city of Lebanon the city of Salem, the city of Seattle, because there are righteous people, righteous children coming from righteous homes. William Blake, I close with this, the British poet, listen to the longing way back there. And did those feet in ancient times walk on England's mountains green? And was the Holy Lamb of God on England's pleasant pastures seen? I will not cease from mental flight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand, till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. You know what he's saying? That if England is to be blessed, it will be blessed because the blessing that England needs come from God. And Jerusalem is the city of God, and may God become a resident in England. Think of what the world would be if that would take place today in London.
in Toronto, in New York, in Chicago, in Lebanon. Let's pray. May your word accomplish your purpose, Father, not mine. May the Holy Spirit be able to apply the word where he sees fit to apply it. And may there be response to God because God has spoken for the good of those who hear and for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, 